your Bibles, if you, if you don't have one, uh, there's, there's some over there, so please grab one. Uh, but you're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7 this morning. And it's kind of in the middle, a little bit to the left of the Psalms, okay? So if you open up your Bible to the middle and you go to the left, uh, you'll, you'll, find, uh, you'll find Nehemiah, okay? Uh, and we've been there for the past three weeks, uh, but if, you, if this is your first time joining us, let me kind of catch you up a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Nehemiah uh, came back from Babylon to help build the walls that have been torn down in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the overall concept we've been talking about is that God can rebuild what sin has destroyed. God can rebuild what sin has destroyed. And so we've seen the people working together. We've seen the wall go up. And last week you saw that the, that the wall was finished. And now we're talking about the most important part of this restoration process, and that is God restoring and rebuilding his people. So that's, that's what we're looking at today. So if you guys are in Nehemiah chapter 7, uh, we're going to start in verse 73. Uh, but let me ask you this, uh, are there any uh, New Year's Eve fans out there? New Year's Eve, anybody? Anybody? Oh, really guys? Are you that lame? You guys go to bed at like 9 o'clock on New Year's? Are there any New Year's Eve fans out there? Yeah. Oh, okay, alright, we got a few. We got a few party animals, okay, that's good. Well, New Year's Eve is always, is always a, uh, a special time in our calendar because it's that, that one magical moment where we feel that we can lift up the rug of life and say, last year, you're under the rug. You're gone. It's time to go in the new direction, right? And we all start making our New Year's resolutions. I'm going to treat my parents better. I'm going to treat my kids better. Right, kids? Right? Treat my kids better. I'm going to have less screen time and more face time with people. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to be an overall better person. There's a hope about New Year's Eve. There's that hope of renewal. There's that hope of rebirth. There's that hope of change. And it just feels good that on January 1st at 12.01 a.m., it's our 32nd chance to get it right. Or maybe our 52nd. Or maybe our 18th, or wherever you are. It's that fresh, new chance to get it right. But there's not anybody in this room that's naive enough to believe that that rejuvenation lasts very long. Right, here we are. We're uh, about a month past the halfway mark. And we're actually closer to 2014 than we are to 2012. And we look at our list of New Year's resolutions, and really, there's only two types of people in here. There's, there really are only two types of people. Those who have utterly failed in their New Year's resolutions and are, you know, strong enough to admit it. I'm one of those people. Or there's the people who are known as liars. <laughs> on the other side. Or just really forgetful. You forgot what you resolved to do, and so you just aren't doing it. So you didn't fail, you just don't know, and that's okay. But, I mean, we, we, all, we all fall short. We all stop doing the things that we wanted to do, or maybe we change it up a little bit and say, maybe I took off a little bit more than I can chew. But then even as we just think about New Year's Eve, and we think about that, uh, that magical moment that, that things start to change for us, we get excited. It's only 170 days until I can start fresh again, Right? And this is exactly where the people in Israel are. We, where we find Nehemiah is on the first day of the seventh month, which is the New Year's 
Uh, it's, it's part of the calendar of the New Year's in the Jewish calendar. And so there, we're, we're joining our brother Nehemiah on New Year's Day. And we're going to see what God's plan is to rebuild his people, to rejuvenate his people, and how he wants to do that in our heart and in our life too. And it doesn't take some kind of foolish thought on New Year's Day, but it takes something else, and that's called repentance. So let's pray, and we're going to get into the Word of God. Father, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are the King, that you are the Lord of our lives. And God, I just pray that you will lead this time, open up our hearts, and let us hear what you have to say to us this morning. God, we love you, and we thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 73, and we're going to read on to chapter 8. So it says this, it says, The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people, the temple servants, and all of Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of all the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Malaika, Hashem, Hashabanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book of the, of the law in the sight of the people. For he was above all the people. As he opened it, all the people stood and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hobadiah, Messiah, Kelatiah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. And so the question we're asking today is, how can our lives be renewed? How can our lives be restored? As we see the, the, the gates of Israel and the walls of Israel were torn down, and now they're built back up, and now God is going to restore the people who were torn down, and they're going to be built back up. How does God do it? How does God do it in our life? How did he do it in Israel's life? Well, here's the first thing that we're going to see. It's this. And you can jot this down in your notes. Renewal will not happen in my life unless I submit myself to the Word of God. Renewal will not happen in my life until I submit myself to the Word of God. Now, uh, we, we saw that they're back. It's the first day of the seventh month. Like we said, it's the, uh, the Hebrew New Year, which would be about mid-September. And it's, the, the, this month marks the beginning of a, a spectacular festival season in, uh, uh, in Israel. And basically, if you had any projects that you wanted to do at home, you couldn't do them uh, because you could have so many Sabbath days during this month, you wouldn't have any time. But this is a, a beautiful month in the Jewish calendar. And you have all these people that are back uh, in the city. 
I mean, imagine that. You're in your brand new house that's been rebuilt. You're at the wall. You can probably smell the fresh mortar. You can smell uh, the fresh clays. It's dried, and you're looking at the walls. Yes, God has brought us back from Babylon. We are back to where we belong. God has been faithful to us. And what do they do? The people gathered as one man into the gates, and they said, and they told Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. They wanted the word of God to be read to them. They wanted it. They wanted to hear it. They thought, okay, we've got our structure. We've got our place. But it's now time for our hearts to be rebuilt. And so Ezra stands out there. And listen how long it was. Look at verse 3. He stood there from early morning until midday. And look at verse 5. When he opened the book, all of the people stood. So there they are from early morning until midday standing. Five or six hours of just standing and hearing the word of God read to them and explained to them in a way that they can understand. You guys like standing? Anybody like standing? I I don't like standing. We just went to Six Flags with the student ministries. And I mean, I, I think standing in line for the raging bull for an hour is like devastating. You know, you start leaning up against that fence and it starts to fall. And the guy's like, hey, no standing on the fence. Right, you start to buckle. But these guys, just to give it some perspective, weren't standing for an hour to get a good ride, good minute and a half ride on Raging Bull. They were standing for five or six hours to hear the Word of God. In honor of that, we're going to be here for five or six hours today. Sound good? You like that? All right, sounds good. Genesis 1-1, here we go. No. Um, and so the people stood the people stood under the hearing of the word of God. And the, my question is, why were they doing this? Why were they standing? Why did they, why, why did they uh, commit themselves to standing for this entire time? Well, because they were in body submitting themselves to the word of God. They were saying, God, we walked away from you and now we're coming back to you. We want to know what you desire of us. And so they stood and they listened and it was women and it was children and it was teenagers. It was those who were able to understand the word and they stood and they heard what God expected of them. And as Ezra finished up, listen to what happens. As Ezra finished, he blessed the great God. And this is in verse 6. And the people answered him. And they said, Amen, Amen. And lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and they worshiped their Lord with the faces to the ground. So, so imagine this. So Ezra finishes up reading the law, the different parts of the law of God, finishes reading it, and, and he blesses the Lord, gives a, uh, uh, gives a, a benediction to, to the people. And here they are with their hands lifted high, as you saw some doing in worship today, and maybe you were doing and their faces bowed to the ground. And I can imagine that some, after they stood hearing the word of God, as the benediction was happening, they would be on their knees as, as this benediction was spoken. And they said, Amen! Amen! Now let me ask you, my hands to the air, face to the ground, is this a prideful position I'm in? No. This is a position of humility. This is a position that I take before the Lord because he's the one speaking to me and I'm the one that needs to listen. Okay? And for too many years, the people of Israel 
heard the word of God, and they chased the false gods. They chased ones who were not the Lord. They went against what God had commanded, and destruction ensued. And so they submit themselves to the word of God in body. And as you'll see, um, through, if, you, if you finish up the book of Nehemiah, you'll see that they recommitted themselves to the law. And they read it, and they lived it, and they did it. When Pastor Ryan or, or I stand up before you, or anybody else who takes this, this uh, stage, we don't sit there before we get here in Ryan's office on Saturday morning and say, so uh, what do we want to uh, bring to the people? Well, I was watching Dr. Phil this week, and he made a good point, right? We don't do that. We take the Bible, the Word of God. One of the four pillars of Harvest Bible Chapel is this. It's to, to, pre, to proclaim the Word of God without apology. We believe that this is what God spoke. We don't make this up in our minds. We don't make it up in our hearts. We believe it's what God spoke. Listen to what the Bible says about itself here in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's what it says. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from, say it with me, God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that you've been told a lot of lies about the Bible. You've been told that, that people sat in a room and, and you know, maybe 1000 AD and decided which books were going to be in and which books were going to be out. And we've uh, recovered the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Peter or the Gospel of Mary and all these false books. These, these, the, the, all those things are not true. People didn't just, just think of what they wanted to put in here and say, well, this sounds like something God would say. It sounds about right. So we're going to put it in. No. There's 66 different books in here. There's 40 different authors that wrote these books and each one of these tells the same story of redemption of God's faithfulness to his people and points to our Lord Jesus Christ. This wasn't something we could come up with in our minds. And no matter how smart you think I am, which I'm sorry if you think I'm that smart, but no matter how smart you think I am, I could not come with anything that could even touch what the word of God says. If you take my advice for how you should live your life, your life is going to turn out pretty bad because I'm kind of slow. But if you take what God says about your life, you'll be restored. You'll be renewed. If you're looking to be rebuilt, that is where it starts. Look at what else God says about his word. From, Deuter or from Exodus uh, chapter 31, it says this. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him at Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The law of God that Ezra read to the Israelites was written by the finger of God himself. And so what... Why do we, why am I saying that we ought to submit ourselves to the word of God? What does, what does that even look like? Well, the people of Israel are showing us what it looks like by saying, God, your words, your words, not mine, your will, not mine, your way, not mine. And when you open up the Bible in your small groups, when, whenever you meet, 
and hear the Word of God taught. And when, when we open up the Bible before you on Sunday mornings, and when you open up the Word of God in your daily quiet time, and you read what God says, it is active in your heart, and it shows you who He is. It shows you who you are. It shows you what He desires of you. It shows you where you've fallen short, and it shows you how to come to the Lord and where there's forgiveness and grace. Look at one more thing about what the Bible says about itself from Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12, it says, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and the intentions in the heart. It's not about our opinions. It's about what God says. Your decision, when you read the scriptures, your decision is not about, am I going to believe Brandon or not? It's not about, am I going to believe Ryan or not? It's going to be, do I believe God or not? And if we look at where we've been with Nehemiah, it's been destruction, destruction, destruction. Why? Because the people of Israel rejected the word of God. And now they're coming back to be reformed and renewed by submitting themselves to his word. But let's talk a little bit more about the bad news. Jot this down in your notes. The word of God shows me that it's my sin that has destroyed me. The Word of God shows me that it's my sin that has destroyed me. Look at chapter 8, verse 9. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, they said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, and do not be grieved. So get the picture in your mind and in your heart that as as they're standing within these brand new walls that they saw God build with the work of his people's hands. As they're standing there, they're hearing the word of God and they're weeping and they're mourning. And you'd think that this would be a time of joy. I mean, think about all those festivals that are happening. The Day of Atonement is coming up, which means it's the day that their sins are going to be laid upon a scapegoat and he's going to be sent out into the wilderness. That's a joyful occasion. It's a time of repentance, but there's joy in it knowing that your sins are not on yourself anymore. They're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which is is that that, uh, feast where they all live in tents instead of in their houses for a week to remember when God took them out of captivity in Egypt and brought them to the Promised Land. That's a joyous time of remembering what God did. That's a time of renewal. And this is on New Year's Day. This is on New Year's Day. When it's a time where, where they remember that things are starting fresh and they're celebrating. Yet here they are, mourning and weeping. So loudly to the point where the Levites who were busy explaining to them the scriptures, they said, whoa, 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 shh, shh, It's literally what it means. They shushed the crowd. Shh, be quiet. Don't mourn. Don't, don't cry. But why were they mourning? That's the question. Because as they looked 
at what they had done, their hearts were broken before the Lord. And what God had surely promised would happen to them, in fact, did. Part of the law that they most likely heard comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here's what it says. It says, See, I have before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statues and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will be blessed, or will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Therefore choose life that your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days. And so as the people heard the word of God and they heard where they ought to be, what they heard was how far they were. And as they heard of the promise of life and hope and of, of time in the promised land, as they heard these promises, they also heard the curses. And they had no choice but to realize that the curses that they had were brought on by themselves. And the Lord promised that this would happen. You guys have read the law, right? At least you've read the Ten Commandments. They're brutal, aren't they? Don't murder, don't lie. Don't worship other gods, but God Almighty. Sounds familiar, right? Don't covet. Don't carve out an idol. Honor your mother and your father. Right? So they saw all these laws, in addition to the hundreds of laws that God had on them, and they saw how short that they had fallen, and they saw that this had brought, had brought about destruction. And as you look at your life, and you look at the destruction that's in your life, your heart ought to mourn and your heart ought to cry as well because it was your sin that brought this on you. Nothing's changed with what sin brings. Sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to destruction. Sin comes in like a computer virus and it spreads everywhere and it seizes up and destroys your life. And it's guaranteed. Every single time this is going to happen. I got four kids, as you guys, uh, many of you guys know. Um, and uh, I, was, I was disciplining two of my boys so I have two boys and two girls, Owen and Dominic, and, uh, and then Lily and Eden. And I, I had to discipline Owen and Dominic. They were doing something stupid. I don't know. And I, I lose count of what it was because it happens all the time, as it did when I was a kid. They take it well after their father. <laughs> and and, and I, I was trying to explain to them what sin does to your heart and what sin does to your life. And they love apples. And so, you know, I, I, I said, Owen, Dominic, listen, you guys like apples, right? And they said, yeah, we love apples, Dad. Actually, it was more like, yes. Um, and, uh, and so I, I said, you like the apples that are red, right? And that are juicy and that are crispy and that when you bite it, it just tastes so good and it feels so good and you swallow it and you keep eating it and you're like, oh, that was so tasty. And Owen got a big smile on his face. So you want an apple now, don't you, bud? And he's like, yeah. 
And so I said, okay, all right. Well, I, I, like I said, I also have two daughters. One of them, Lily, is a thief. Okay, she's, she's two. She's a thief. She always goes into the kitchen, and she'll open up the drawer, and she'll take an apple, and she'll take two Lily-sized bites, maybe three if I'm lucky, and then the apple, the apple disappears, and I don't see it, and I wonder where it went. And then I find it three weeks later when I pull out the couch to pull something from behind there, and there it is sitting behind the couch, right? And it's old, and it's brown, and it's got ants crawling all over it, and it looks just nasty. I said, okay, Owen, so you know what a lily apple is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when you reach for an apple, which one do you get, the lily apple or the red apple? The red one. Yeah, that's right. Every time you pick the red one. So when you sin, you choose the lily apple, right? You choose the lily apple. That's what it looks like every time. And what's going to happen to you when you eat this apple? I'm going to get sick. Yeah, you're going to get sick. It's going to taste gross. Yeah, it's going to taste gross. It might fill your belly for a second, but you're going to throw it all up in a couple of minutes anyway. So why eat it? Why do it? And that, and well, what, what's kind of funny about that is that Dominic now, I'll hear them, I'll overhear them talking in their room and Dominic will say things like, Owen, you're choosing the lily apple. It's really awesome. I love it. Um, but, but when we choose sin, guys, it does more than just make us throw up. It kills us. It destroys us. Look at your life. Look at your marriage. Look at your finances. Look at your career. Look at your health. Look at your joy. Look at, look at all of that. Look at your entire state of life and where something is miserable and something is broken, at the root of it, you're going to find one thing and that is sin. If your life is being torn down into shambles or there's different areas of your wall, of, of the wall of your life that's tearing down into shambles, I assure you it is because of sin. There's nothing else. And this is why the people were mourning. Because sin had destroyed them. Sin had destroyed their hearts. Sin had destroyed their way of life. Sin had destroyed their culture. Sin had destroyed their families. Sin made them slaves. They're even still slaves in Israel because they're still under the Babylonian rule. And guys, nothing is different for us. Nothing is different. And one thing I love about the Bible is it never leaves us in the misery. It never leaves us in the, in the spot where there's no hope. The last point is this. The Word of God proves to me that only the Lord can renew me. The Word of God proves to me that only the Lord can renew me. I'm going to read you verse 10 again of chapter 8. It says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this day is holy to our Lord. What does he say? And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. 
So not only did they hear how sinful they are, not only did they hear that if the only way that your life can be rebuilt is if you submit yourself to the word of God because it's a rebellion against the word of God that has destroyed our life and it's only the Lord who can renew you and restore you. Look forward a little bit to chapter 9, verse 17 and 19. And let's look at a little bit of how that joy comes, how the, uh, the joy of the Lord is able to be our strength because we can remember what God has done. So Ezra uh, remembers the people of Israel and how they got into this mess. Look at this, verse 17. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. And they stiffened their neck and they appointed a leader to return to the slavery of Egypt. Now get that. They were free from slavery. They were free from Egypt. They were delivered. I said, no, let's go back. This is miserable. God's plan is miserable. But listen, but you are a God who is ready to what? Let's try that again. You are a God who is ready to Let's say that loud. You are a God who is ready to forgive. forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You did not forsake them, your people. He goes on, look at, look at verse 32. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. In other words, he's saying, God, you are God. Look at our plight. Look what's happening to us. Look at the ruin that we're in. Verse 33. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we acted wickedly. So what did they hear? What did they see? They saw that despite their running away from the Lord, despite their shaking their fist at God, despite their committing cosmic treason against the Lord that is punishable by death, despite all of that, God was faithful and God remained faithful. God said, I love you. He's talking to his people who have spit in his face and brought them back and brought them back and brought them back and brought them back. We've talked about this before, but even as believers, we have this idea that, that God is standing behind us with a lightning bolt, ready for us to screw up, ready for us to sin. And we got this idea that, that, that when we fall short, God throws that lightning bolt into our hearts, into our lives out of wrath. But he does it out of discipline. He doesn't throw lightning bolts at us. But he sends troubles and trials and lets our lives get destroyed so that we see that we need him and that it's only in him that we can be renewed and restored and refreshed. And that's it. And so think closely about your life. What is sin destroyed? What is sin currently destroying in your life? 
Your marriage, like we said, your health, your finances, your career, your integrity, your joy. Is sin robbing you of these things? What's your posture before the word of God? Are you standing before the Lord on your knees, arms in the sky, saying, God, your will and not mine. Your will and not mine. Or do you hold open the word of God and do you say, "Mm, I like this, but not this. I like what God says about him answering all my prayers, but I don't like what he says about divorce. I, I, I like what God says um, about, about all good and perfect gifts come from the Father, but I don't like what it says about obeying my mother and father. I, I like what the Lord says about having a plan for me, but I don't like what he says when he says i got to submit to my authorities. Not in this country. I don't like that. We can't pick and choose what the Word of God says. The Word of God says what the Word of God says, and we are responsible for all of it. You want your life to be restored and renewed. The first step is repentance and turning from that sin, turning from your own heart, turning from your own ways and walking faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all in the same boat in this room, okay? We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Um, I, Joel, can you put up the verse from Galatians? It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. However, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Each and every one of us have tried to attain God's goodness and God's acceptance by obeying the law, but it doesn't work that way. And so, in this big boat that we're in of sinners, there's two different types of people in that boat. One type of people have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and have bowed their knee before the Savior and said, I'm yours. I'm yours. And you've asked for forgiveness of your sins. And you've asked God to free you from the bondage of sin and to restore and renew your life. And to you, I ask you right now, are you fully bowing your knee before the word of God? Are you letting it speak to every area and every inch of your life? Take a look. What's being destroyed? What's being torn down? What needs to be rebuilt? Where do you need to repent so that God can begin the work of restoration in your heart? We all have an area that we need to bow the knee to the Lord to. Why are you weeping and mourning? But the second group of people here, second group of people here are people who have not bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. People who have not placed their faith in Him. Have not sought forgiveness of your sins. Have thrown the Bible aside and said, I can do this, I'm on my own way. I can do this my own way. And I say to you, remember what God has said that happens because of sin. It is death. It is death. It is death. Death in your relationships. Death in your finances. Death death in your career. Death in every area of your life. And if you don't see it now, believe me, it's coming. And you might be thinking, my life is fine. But in the end, all that you have before you is death. And there's an eternity that waits for you in the lake of fire. 
where at the end Jesus is going to line everybody up on his right, who's a follower, who's a sheep, who loves him, and he's going to put everybody on his left who's denied Jesus Christ. It would be a goat who doesn't follow Jesus. And there's no other spot. And so I plead with you right now, know that the promises of God are true. Know that the words that we speak are from the Lord himself. And know this, that he desires to rebuild you. He desires to shape you and to form you and to bring you back to him. So the band's going to come up right now. They're going to play over us. And I want to give you guys some time right now in your seat and to do business with the Lord. Where is it that you need to turn and repent and to put yourself under the authority of God's word? And do you, for the first time, need to commit your life to Jesus Christ who went to the cross and the wrath of God was poured out fully on him so that it doesn't have to be poured on you? Have you sought forgiveness for your sins? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to search your heart and to ask the Lord to reveal these things to you. And we're going to sing one last song together.